Welcome to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that normally discusses Chinese history through historical Chinese dramas, but today we are actually going to be discussing a Chinese movie. We are your hosts, Karen and Kathy. Today we are chatting about a movie called *The Palace* or *Gong Suo Chenxiang* in Chinese, which is a 2013 film set in the Qing Dynasty during Emperor Kangxi's reign. For this podcast episode, we will provide some background on the movie, an in-depth explanation of the cast and characters, do a brief movie recap. And then discuss the Chinese history portrayed in this film and point out、uh, inaccuracies. This movie is intriguing for one because all of the cast, and I pretty much say all of the cast, are either extremely famous or were extremely famous Chinese stars. Now, almost ten years after its premiere, and two, this movie. Is part of an insanely popular series、uh, that I never actually got around to watching. So I thought, hey, why not check it out? And after watching the film, I was like, I have a lot of thoughts. So let's talk about it on our podcast. To watch the movie with English subtitles, one can see it on Jubao TV, which is spelled J U B A O TV. That is a newly launched free streaming service that has Chinese dramas, movies, and documentaries available in the U.S. You can check out their content offerings on JubaoTV.com. But to actually watch the shows, you can watch it on TV if you have Xfinity or Cox Contour readily available. And it is also available on the streaming app called Xumo X U M O, which I primarily use on my computer. And I was pleasantly surprised to see Palace on there with、uh, English subtitles and a few other dramas of interest. If you don't have access to Jubao TV since you're outside of the states, that is a okay. There are other options available to view this film, Palace, online. If you want to follow along,、um, and I think you just do a quick Google search. I was able to find other options. Okay, with that, let's get started. Let me provide some background on the film and、uh, I guess the whole universe of Gong or Palace. So Gong Suo Chenxiang is a part of the Palace series, of which there are three dramas and one film, which this is the film. This film premiered in 2013, and the first drama in the series, Gong Suo Xinyu, was explosively popular in 2011 and launched the careers of Yang Yi and Feng Shaofeng, who actually stars as Gu Tingye in the story of Minglan, to the A-list, where Yang Yi remains today. Feng Shaofeng like had a few mishaps, so he's like not as a list. He's actually—it's funny—he's like more famous now as the ex-husband of Zhao Liying. Anyways, yeah, it cannot be understated how popular the original Gong was、uh, in a like decade, a,、yeah. a decade ago in like the Chinese entertainment series, which is why we're like, oh, this movie came out. Let's take a look. It also made the screenwriter Yu Zheng a staple in the Chinese entertainment industry. He got. Pretty famous in the 2000s as well with some of his early works, but Gong and this series really put him on the map for better or for worse. I personally remember obsessing over Gong's with Xinyu, the drama when it premiered, and the theme song to that drama is one that is now deemed a classic. And the、uh, the main character for Gong's with Xinyu, the original drama, so Yang Mi, 
it gets teased a lot for that uh, for that song because she sings it. And it's called Ai de Gongyang. And apparently she's like forced by her company to sing it all the time now. And I, don't, I feel like she probably rolls her eyes at it. Yeah, I feel kind of old talking about it, realizing that this was 10 years ago. But Palace, um, along with Startling with Each Step or Bu Bu Jing Xing, set off a craze of Qing Dynasty dramas and also time traveling dramas as the main character of both these dramas are women who travel back in time from modern day China. This movie, though, does not include the trope of traveling back in time. This film tells the love story of two young palace maids with two princes during the reign of Kangxi during the Qing dynasty, coupled with a plot about seizing the throne. We'll also add, of course, Empresses in the Palace also came out right around this time, so I would say it was the triple whammy of Empresses in the Palace, Gong, and Bu Bu Jinxin. It uh, kind of sparked this whole palace drama craze that we've seen over the past decade. I had no expectation going into this movie as to what I'd see out of it. There's actually quite a bit of Chinese culture and history portrayed in this film to digest, which we will talk about later in this podcast episode. The costumes and production quality of the film are probably what I would say are the the best pieces and are above expectations. And the political component of the film were probably the highlights, though for me, Honestly, the biggest selling point is seeing Zhao Liying or Zanilia Zhao play the antagonist. For those of you following our normal podcast episodes, you know how popular Zhao Liying is. This film came out early in her career, so she wasn't always the main character that had to be like a goody two-shoes. And I felt like she knocked it out of the park in playing an evil backstabbing person versus like the nice likable characters that you it's like expected out of her and I thoroughly enjoyed it much better than the main female lead in this movie honestly no offense to her I yeah she's great but I think Jolene was better for me the other main draw to watching this film was actually the level of nostalgia in seeing Gong Suo Chenxiang now, so many years after it's been out, since there are a lot of well-known actors and actresses today in the film. So you kind of see the progression of their careers now. You're like looking back and saying, wow, they're big names or some other people. You're like, wow, I haven't seen them in a long time because they're kind of they peaked and faded in, in, in their careers. I will say the film's romance plot has much to be desired. And it's also kind of hilarious to see where the uh, movie uh, uh, copied from its more famous predecessors. If you watch this movie and listen to what we'll talk about later in this podcast, you will see quite a few scenes that remind you of Empresses in the Palace or Jin Huan Zhuan that we have discussed at length in our podcast. Another one is Huan Zhu Gogo, which is, um, I think in English, it's called My Fair Princess. Everybody watched that 20 years ago. Yeah, it's like the most popular Chinese drama in the last 20 years. Uh, this type of plagiarism, so to speak, is a staple of films uh, written and dramas. Or, and dramas written or produced by Yu Zheng, who is a main screenwriter for, for this uh, film, though. I mean, he copies almost everything, and this <laughs> movie is no exception. 
If you are looking for a fun drinking game to play, uh, I you should see where there are similarities between this film, Gongsuo Chenxiang, and other Qing Dynasty dramas you've watched. I feel like that would have been quite a lot of fun. I will say this film is uh, much darker and more explicit than I was expecting. So that's just something to be aware of when watching the film, if you're watching it with younger folks or folks that you are just like, you know, would feel uncomfortable with. Before we go into the plot of this drama and discuss the history, let's talk about the cast. As we've said, it's pretty interesting viewing this movie almost 10 years after its premiere, um, as a large portion of the leads are now either A-list stars or were A-list stars when they were in uh, the movie. Um, some of the cameos are of people that were my idols growing up, but perhaps have since faded from the spotlight. But um, most of these stars um, that we'll talk about were just getting started in their careers and yeah, they've reached massive fame since then. There are two main female leads. They are Zhou Dongyu as the maid Chen Xiang. Zhou Dongyu, born in 1992, her claim to fame is starring in a critically acclaimed movie Under the Hawthorne Tree, or Shan Jia Shu Zhi Lian, in 2010 by the legendary Chinese director Zhang Yimou, and has been a Chinese entertainment darling for many years. They're primarily focused on the movie market rather than the drama market. She is considered one of the four main actresses born in the 90s and attended the Beijing Film Academy, which is one of the premier uh, film schools in China today. Her most recent on-screen appearance, at least of the time of this podcast, is Tian Gu Jiechen, or Ancient Love Poetry, that premiered in this summer of 2021. It's a fantasy drama that I will be honest, did not watch yet. Reviews and ratings for that drama were probably not as ideal as uh, she or Jolong you would have hoped. But if you have watched it, let me know what you think. Maybe we'll uh, take a look at the drama itself. In this film, she plays Zhao Jia Chenxiang. She is a Bao Yi, and we'll discuss what a Bao Yi means. The name Chenxiang, though, means agar wood, and it is actually primarily used for incense. I personally feel like the screenwriter Yu Zheng just made up her last name in order to be somewhat related to history, as it is documented that the wife of the 13th prince is from the Zhao Jia family. Next up is, of course, Zhao Li Ying as Liu Li, Chenxiang's best friend growing up, and she is our antagonist. Well, Zhao Liying doesn't need much introduction as she is the main lead in the drama we're currently discussing on our podcast, The Story of Ming Lan. Born in 1987 in Hebei province, she is one of the biggest stars in China now, having started many commercial successes throughout the years. Her attitude towards her career is to be admired. Unlike many of her peers in the industry, she did not attend a film or drama academy, which makes her success even more commendable. To reiterate, this is the only evil character that Zhao Liying has portrayed. I think she does a great job in this movie, actually, and gives much-needed spice to the movie itself. I mean, every movie needs a baddie, and I'm glad to see her in this role. I actually wish Minglan was a bit more like her character Liu Li in the beginning of the film, when uh, she was more carefree and more innocent. 
I feel like Mulan's missing a little bit of that. Not the rest of the movie, though. Oof. Don't want don't want Minglan to be like Lily at all. Yeah. Lily is just ooh. Yeah. The name Lily means colored glaze or uh, a stone similar to lapis lazuli. We don't know much about her character's background, so I'll assume she is completely fictional and created for this story. Before we talk about the main uh, male characters of this movie, let's provide some historical background. The movie revolves around the famous fight for Emperor Kangxi's throne. Emperor Kangxi was the longest reigning emperor during the Qing dynasty, who was born in 1654 and ruled from 1661 to 1722. He had a ton of children, and with that brought a lot of issues for the throne because he had nine sons that vied for the throne, creating teams and causing brothers to turn against each other. Uh, by now, this conflict for folks who were watching Chinese dramas in the 2010s is something that is super familiar because this conflict was the main one that was depicted in the original palace with Yang Mi in 2011 that we talked about. And uh, I think this was one of the reasons why both palace and startling with each step or Bu Bu Jingxing were so immensely popular because the drama calls for a lot of handsome young men to portray these princes. And so each drama had plenty, and I say plenty, of eye candy for all to enjoy. <laughs> oh yeah, we all had our favorite princes. I know, I think that was like the craze back in the day of like which team you're on. You're like, oh, are you part of the fourth team, fourth princess team or the eighth princess team? <laughs> it was fantastic. And each drama, you had like your favorites from each drama. Like I liked the eighth prince from Palace versus starting with each step. So that was really fun. This movie, uh, because it is much shorter in, in length, uh, simplifies this conflict. So it revolves around a smaller number of brothers rather than the full battle, which is described in more detail in the other dramas. And I mean, it is, of course, a movie, so we couldn't include or they couldn't include all of the plot lines. The main brothers uh, that we see in this film uh, as part of the conflict are our main character, the 13th Prince. The Ninth Prince, the Fourth Prince, and also the Crown Prince. We hear mention of the 18th Prince, but the kid is not really um, shown. So with that, let's talk about the actors for uh, the princes here. Chen Xiao portrays the 13th Prince and is the main male character of the movie, Yin Xiang. Chen Xiao, the actor, was born in 1987 in Anhui province, and he is deemed one of the most handsome men for historical Chinese dramas in the early uh, 2010s. I would agree with that. <laughs> he starred in several well-known dramas, including the 2014 version of Romance of the Condor Hero or Shen Diao Xia Lu, where he met his current wife. He participated in The Legend of Lu Jin or Lu Jin Chuan Qi, pairing up again with Zanelia Zhao or Zhao Liying. And he also uh, acted in Nothing Gold Can Stay or Na Nian Hua Kai Yue Zheng Yuan with Sun Li, where he gained raved reviews. Sun Li is, of course, Chen Huan from Empress in the Palace. I am primarily excited for his upcoming drama called Meng Hua Lu with my all-time favorite actress, uh, Liu Yifei, who starred in Disney's recent adaptation of Mulan. 
We have two uh, review episodes of that on our podcast if you're interested in hearing our thoughts about Mulan. In this film, Chen Xiao plays the tragic character of the 13th prince of Kangxi. The historical character was born in 1686. He's handsome and accomplished in many skills. He lost his mother at a young age and is extremely close to his brother, the fourth prince, who is the eventual emperor, as they were raised by the same consort or mother, Consort De. During the years leading up to his father's death, he was, I guess, out of favor. And that component is portrayed in the film um, and was only released or, I guess, regained favor when his brother, the fourth prince, ascended the throne. This is not shown in the film, but the 13th prince served his brother as a trusted ally for eight years until his death in 1730. Next up is the ninth prince, who is portrayed by Zhu Ziqiao. Of all the actors and actresses in this drama, I would say that Zhu Ziqiao is probably the one that we are least familiar with. Uh, I guess his claim to fame is appearing in the 2009 remake of Meteor Garden, which was another explosively popular drama that launched the careers of many of its main cast. But it seems like this guy is, you know, he's been in quite a number of good dramas, but in smaller roles. One of his more recent and popular dramas is Liu Li or Love and Redemption, though he doesn't play the main character. Zhu Ziqiao plays the ninth prince who is seen as a manipulative and power-hungry individual. In history, he supported the eighth prince to take over the throne. Born in 1683, he was stripped of his title, kicked out of the clan, and renamed Sai Sihei, which translates to dog in Manchu in 1725, three years after his brother, the fourth prince, ascended the throne. This guy died a year later of uh, mysterious circumstances in 1726. Next, we have Lu Yi as the fourth prince or the eventual emperor Yongzheng. Well, we followed Lu Yi for years. I remember that he starred in a drama with Ruby Lin and Feng Shaofeng again back in 2003. A and long time was, yeah, ago. <laughs> and was already a fan. So it's been interesting to see his career progress throughout the years. He's not an idol, but he has a very handsome face and starred in several high-quality dramas. Though, there also have been a few missteps along the way. His foray into the Palace series, or at least dramas with Yu Zheng, the producer and screenwriter of these series, some would say, um, was that misstep. <laughs> he could have made some better decisions. <laughs> oh, a drama that he acted in with Angela Baby, I just, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I feel bad for him, man. Anyways, he plays the calculating fourth prince that we know as Emperor Yongzheng. He and the 13th prince are the closest of brothers. Uh, it's pretty touching. I would say we talked at length about this historical character in our Empresses uh, to the Palace podcast series. So listen to that if you want to know more about Emperor Yongzheng in history. <laughs> All right. Next, we have Lin Zicong or Lam Qichang as the crown prince Ying Zheng. So he's actually uh, the second prince if he was not the crown prince. This chubby Hong Kong actor, I feel like, was everywhere in the 2000s and early 2010s. Um, he was popular. He is popular for his physique because he adds uh, a comedic effect to a lot of the movies and shows he's in. 
He provides, for me at least, a comforting feeling every time I see him on the screen. He has quite a filmography, so do check him out. He plays the discarded crown prince in this movie. This character was rather interesting in history as he was twice named crown prince and twice discarded by Emperor Kangxi. Born to Kangxi's first empress, he was named crown prince partly because his mother died shortly after giving birth to him and his father greatly missed her. But after a series of missteps, his father, the emperor, ultimately decided that this guy was not fit to be emperor and deposed him, thus leading to a bitter battle between the remaining brothers. Another important person um, in the royal family that we want to talk about is actually Fei or Consort De, played by Wu Junmei. I'm not too familiar with her work. I think I've seen her in dramas here and there. Uh, she, she was actually in Ruyi's Love in the Palace or Ruyi Zhuan as older Jin Huan. So she's comfortable playing these types of consorts or like more revered Qing Dynasty mm-hmm. women. She actually acted in Bernardo Bertolucci's 1987 epic, The Last Emperor, which is about the life of the last emperor of China, Puyi. And she actually portrayed one of his consorts. So this is what, like three decades ago now? In this movie... Like we said, she portrays Consort De, who in history is the mother of Yongzheng, or the fourth prince. And of course, the Empress Dowager in Empresses in the Palace. So here we are now to cameos. There's a lot of cameos. There's a lot of really famous people in this movie. So I do want to give them a shout out. Part of it is just because we're like, oh, I know all these people. I, like I said, when we watched it, I did not expect all these people to show up. Yeah. First up is Bo Bear. He portrays the eunuch Chun Shou. This guy is relatively well-known right now with many movies and drama acting credits under his name, as well as directing credits. I was introduced to him when he participated on the reality TV show Running Man a few years back. Again, surprised to see him in this movie uh, so many years ago. Next, we have Zhang Weijian, or Dickie Chung. He's the head eunuch that shows up in the beginning and the end of the movie. Can I say I almost cried of surprise when I saw Dickie Chung show up on screen? He was legitimately one of my favorite actors growing up because his dramas were generally light and funny, though there were some serious moments and I personally cried like a baby. Um, It's a little bittersweet to see him in such a small role here and that he's also aged, but what can you do? I cannot tell you how many times I've watched Ziling Xiaobodong or in English it's called Smart Kid as a child. He was one of those actors that whenever there was a new drama out, I want to see it because he's just so fun. Other fun cameos include Zhang Zifeng, who portrays the young Chen Xiang. Although just a tiny role, the young actress who played the young Chen Xiang is uh, currently studying at the Beijing Film Academy and already has a ton of acting credits to her name. I would say she's one of the new movie stars to watch out for in the Chinese entertainment industry, as she has, in my view, adorable facial features, but has already showcased her acting abilities at a young age. I'm sure we'll see her career blossom in the coming years. We also have Huang Shengyi, who portrays the mother to the 13th prince, and in the show, she is Min Fei. Wang Shengyi is a pretty famous actress who got her big break from the Stephen Chow movie Kung Fu Hustle. Her filmography since then has not been that great. So surprising to see her in this film for like a hot second. Mm -hmm. 
In history, Min Fei died in 1699 when her son was only 13. I didn't find too many details surrounding her death, but she was relatively favored. The above are what I would say key cameos that I wanted to mention. There are others that uh, I was very surprised to see. The actress for Qi Fei from Empresses in the Palace is in the movie as another consort. Uh, shout out if you spot her. And Dickie Chung's wife, Zhang Qian, who we've seen in other dramas, makes an appearance here as well. Now let's talk at a high level about the plot of this movie. At its core, this movie is a romance film that is set during a tumultuous time in history. My personal view, I'll reiterate, is that this film shines more on the culture and history part, uh, which are way more fun to watch than the romance portion. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. The film starts out with the main character, Chen Xiang, in her youth, entering the palace during Kangxi's rule as a young maid. She inadvertently trespasses into the old residence of the 13th prince's deceased mother. Phew, that was a little bit of a mouthful. Anyways, there, she's scared after seeing the young 13th prince's figure uh, that comes out in, like, I don't know, very scary way, but she is dragged off. Later that night, she also meets another young maid, Liu Li, whom they pair to become the best of friends. As the years pass, Chen Xiang and Liu Li, as well as their good friend, the eunuch Chun Shou, enjoy some blissful years. They learn the lesson of what women do in order to improve their station in the palace, which is to try to capture the attention of a prince or the emperor to become a concubine. Chen Xiang doesn't have such aspirations, though her best friend Liu Li absolutely does. One day, Chen Xiang is shown a picture of the handsome 13th prince and immediately falls in love with him. But to emphasize her good nature, she doesn't take any action. Liu Li, on the other hand, plots to land the affection of a prince and successfully spends the night with the ninth prince. She thinks he'll marry her, which is naive to the extreme, and he pretty much just discards her. That same night, she is spending time with the ninth prince, Chen Xiang, who was taking Liu Li's post during Liu Li's night shift as, you know, a favor to a good friend was over somewhere else spending a more innocent time with the 13th prince, helping him attract butterflies to help him remember his mother. During this whole, uh, it's not really a rendezvous, but I guess evening date, Chen Xiang had her face covered uh, as she was covering for Liu Li and didn't get, want to get either of them in trouble. But that evening's time spent together, however, made the 13th Prince fall madly in love with Chen Xiang as well, and he wants to marry her, which I'm like, mm, a prince marrying a maid. We, we've seen enough dramas to know where that's going to go, right? Anyways, he doesn't know who she was, and he can only search for the maid on duty that night. Liu Li does not hesitate to claim that it was her that night and is, I guess, getting ready to marry the 13th prince which leads to a heartbroken Chen Xiang. To add insult to injury, Liu Li brings Chen Xiang along as her personal maid. Liu Li then also plays, the, plays up the sisterly love card, but she, Liu Li, forgets all pretense of friendship and sisterly love in the face of riches and wealth. 
Anything that threatens Liuli's position in the palace must go, including Chen Xiang if push comes to shove. But Liuli continues to enjoy an affair with the ninth prince as well. The rest of the film revolves around relationship conflicts between these four characters. Chen Xiang loves the thirteenth prince, who thinks he loves Liu Li. Liu Li is going to marry the thirteenth prince primarily for his status, but is having an affair with the ninth prince. While all that drama is happening, a furious battle for the imperial throne is also waging. As explained earlier, the thirteenth prince and the ninth prince are on different teams, so naturally. There are schemes against each other. We see the crown prince infuriating the emperor and becomes、uh, deposed. We also see the fourth prince taking calculated steps to become the next emperor. We kind of know how the movie will end since history stares us in the face, but how it actually ends is the point of the film and kind of what happens to our characters. There are many retellings of how the fourth prince actually. Becomes emperor, so this is just adding another example to that long list. We won't spoil what happens、um, to the character, so watch the movie for yourself to find out. Overall, I would say I was pleasantly surprised with this film. It did take a bunch of liberties on history, and like I said, the romance plot was somewhat contrived. But there is a treasure trove of history to discuss. So. We will spend the rest of this podcast episode talking about history. Beginning of the film, we see maids being selected for the palace. During the Qing Dynasty, palace maids were under the management of Nei Wu Fu, which is the Imperial Household Department. We were doing some research on this topic, and there seems to be some conflicting information. But maids were either selected to enter the palace at age eleven or thirteen. They were actually mostly selected from the、uh, Bui Aha of the、uh, Eight Banners under the Qing regime. In Mandarin, they are called Bao Yi, which basically means that they are bond servants or servile household members of the Manchu elite or members themselves of the Eight Banners. And we do talk about this in Empresses in the Palace, but being Manchu automatically makes you higher in status than Han Chinese. But the members of the Baoyi have a lower status than regular Manchu, so there's still like a, di- a dichotomy here. Maids chosen for menial tasks usually had no education, but maids of the aristocracy usually meant being relatively well educated so as to serve their masters better. We see glimpses of this in、uh, Jin Huan Zhuan or Empresses in the Palace with Jin Huan's half sister Huan Bi, who could read and write. Another popular Qing Dynasty drama. Uh, is、uh, Yanxi Gonglue or the story of Yanxi Palace? The maids of the empress in that drama could marry quite well, which reflects that these maids actually had status that were quite high. 
unlike in other dynasties, maids in the Qing dynasty could actually leave the palace at the age of 25 if they were of still uh, good standing. Though, as it's discussed in the movie many times, 25 is an old age for a maid if she still wanted to get married. Understandably, uh, life as a maid was not that glamorous. They were often physically and sexually abused. And the minuscule upside is, of course, potentially capturing the eye of a prince or the emperor himself. This didn't happen too often, but it did happen um, in some instances, which led to consorts really rising up in the rank or maids rising up in the palace and becoming very popular, which is now also why we have so many palace dramas and movies, right? Based on the math of the drama, Chen Xiang and Liu Li entered the palace when they were around 13. And <laughs> this is actually one of the instances where the two young actresses, Xiang Yiyi and Zhang Zifeng for Liu Li and Chen Xiang respectively, were actually younger than the people they were supposed to portray in the movie when the film premiered. Yeah, I'm just doing this based on the math that by the time Chen Xiang left uh, or could leave the palace. They said she was here for 12 years or something, I think. So you subtract that 13. Well, to serve, Chen Xiang and Liu Li are first assigned to a place called Qianxi Sisuo. This is an actual spot and is located on the northwest side of the Forbidden City, or Zijingcheng. They were first built, of course, during the Ming Dynasty and were continuously renovated during the centuries even in the Qing dynasty. The place where Chen Xiang and Liu Li work was renamed to Jianfu Gong in the 1740s during the reign of Qianlong. Which is what we have today. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of bugs in the drama, so let's point out a few. In the beginning of the movie, Chen Xiang loses her earring and tries to find it. If you watch the movie, she actually steps on the dragon in the middle of the steps. So this that action was a huge no-no. The dragon represents the emperor in the Forbidden Palace. Absolutely no one could step on it. He or she would be severely punished and most likely killed. Like, absolutely nobody. I nearly had a heart attack when I saw this on screen. For anyone who visits the Forbidden Palace in Beijing, this is something the tour guides mention. Only the emperor could pass above the dragon because he, of course, is the dragon. Separately, Liu Li mentions her quarters as Shu Fang Jai, which is so popular for everyone who has watched Huan Zhu Gege or My Fair Princess. But this place was renamed during the reign of Qianlong Emperor, two emperors after Kangxi. And also, we would say at this point in the drama, it's probably like the mm, late 17th century, early 18th century. Um, so this still has like at least 30 years to go. So we do want to talk about in this film, not just the history, but also, I guess, some inaccuracies of of using certain terms. One of them is a phrase that the eunuch Chun Shou uses when he finds out that Liu Li has taken Chen Xiang's place as the future wife of the 13th prince. He says, or he uses the idiom Li Dai Tao Jiang. The English translation on screen was just, how dare Liu Li take her wealth and position, which... I guess works because that's what uh, sentiment he's trying to imply. But the literal translation 
of this phrase Li Dai Taojiang is the plum tree sacrificing itself for the peach tree by pretending to be the peach tree. <laughs> In the beginning, this idiom had actually a positive connotation. It means that brothers were helping each other and sacrificing for the greater good. It was actually one of the famous, uh, one of the famous 36 stratagems for Chinese war. However, in this drama, the eunuch Chun Shou uses the phrase to show his indignation at Liu Li's betrayal. Yeah, so this usage, in my opinion, doesn't really make sense of that idiom. Like, I guess his meaning was, how dare he take your, or how dare she take your spot? But from a tactical perspective, it's supposed to be like a good, like a good thing, not yeah. a bad thing. This is not the only, I guess... Chinese historical cultural idiom thing that is wrongly used in my view. Our our view. I don't know if anybody else listening has a better view. Let us know. You know, this is just our initial uh, watching of this. After Liu Li uh, successfully becomes betrothed to the 13th prince, which we all know was probably way too easy uh, and would have had little chance of happening in real life. She does something called or the literal translation is cutting my own flesh to feed my own kin. This is when Liu Li pretends to cut herself uh, to medicate De Fei or consort De or consort De. Now, this is very much just folklore as whether or not this type of thing works. So do not do this. Uh, there were in- instances in history, though, of individuals who did Basically, what they do is cut themselves and use blood as an ingredient in medicine. And that was thought to be helpful in curing ailments. And this is only when the individuals or families were in destitute poverty. Do not do this. That's why when what when this was mentioned, the Guru Wei team was mentioned, everyone was shocked at Liu Li's filial piety, meaning, wow, she actually hurt herself to kind of provide and cure um, her future mother-in-law, but was not shocked at the actual act. This is an extreme measure to take, but not wholly unheard of. We actually saw An Ling Zhong do this for Jin Huan in Empresses in the Palace in an effort to show Jin Huan that she, An Ling Rong, was loyal to Jin Huan, even though she wasn't. Another scene borrowed from Empresses in the Palace, I thought. I think maybe we're just we're just conjecturing, <laughs> but there's a lot of similarities. On the topic of An Ling Rong from Empresses in the Palace, you will remember her singing a song that captured the attention of the emperor. It is called Jin Lü Yi, or the poem's name is golden threaded clothes. And those lines are actually reflected here in the film. But in my opinion, the film used this poem completely inaccurately. Or at least there were two uh, two interpretations of this poem. And one I think was a little bit more accurate and the other one was like, mm, no, 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 this is totally not, not what it was saying. So the full poem is this. Quan Jun Mo Xi Jin Lü Yi this poem is from the Tang Dynasty, so around a thousand years before the Qing Dynasty. We've mentioned how the last two lines of this poem are very famous, and voila, here they are. 
So again, what does this poem mean? Our translation is this. I urge you not to value the wealth and riches of the golden threaded clothing. I urge you instead to value your youth and capture that time. Just like flowers on a branch, which require you to pick at the right moment. Don't wait until there are no flowers left on the tree and pick empty tree branches. The last two lines in this film were written on a prayer note of sorts and attached to a bell. To the 13th prince, he believes that uh, Liu Li is worried he'll marry another since it's talking about how one is waiting until there are no flowers left. This bell was hanging, left hanging somewhere and the 13th prince went to pick it up. But when he sees it, he thinks that Liu Li wrote it. So he goes to find Liu Li and tells her not to worry. He's absolutely going to marry her. Liu Li, upon seeing this written note, immediately suspects correctly that it was Chen Xiang who left the note because Chen Xiang earlier in this movie found out about uh, Liu Li having an affair with the ninth prince, even though she's supposed to be marrying the 13th prince. Liu Li thinks Chen Xiang is trying to hint to the 13th prince that uh, Liu Li's flower is already gone to someone else. Um, what? That doesn't make any sense at all for what the poem is trying to say. I totally do not understand why Chen Xiang wrote that to the 13th prince, because I do think the 13th prince's understanding of the poem more closely aligns with what I think the poem is trying to say. Um, so again, maybe I can say like, oh, there, when there's no flowers left, but like, I feel like there are way better hints that Chen Xiang could have written <laughs> to the 13th prince to hint that his future wife is actually cheating on him and is not, I guess, as pure as he thinks. That was just my view. In any case, this note was enough for Liu Li to threaten Chen Xiang with their good friend Chun Shou's life. Uh, which then brings us to the next topic. And by now, Liu Li or Zhao Liyin has totally turned to the dark side and I'm kind of loving it, but she's also, you know, terrible. terrible. The next topic is Dui Shi. The literal translation of Dui Shi is eating food opposite one another. The phrase uh, was actually meant to describe same-sex relationships between palace mates. But over the years, the phrase Dui Shi changed to include relationships between eunuchs and palace mates. Dui Shi typically refers to a short relationship between the maids and eunuchs, but in the movie, it seems to be more of a long-term relationship. In the movie, Dui Shi seemed to be a pretty open topic, but I don't think it was really the case as it wasn't as common during the Qing dynasty as it was in previous dynasties, especially since maids could leave the palace at the age of 25. People also looked down at the woman who agreed to marry the eunuch, as was shown in the movie, because again, they had other uh, options. They had other options, and unfortunately, um, as we've seen in many of the dramas, um, especially also in Empresses in the Palace, people very much looked down at eunuchs. Now, one of the key catalysts, I would say, historical catalysts that happened in the film is the death of the 18th prince. 
Ying Xie was born in 1701, and he died at the young age of eight in 1708. The 18th prince was very favored by his father, Emperor Kangxi, and in history, the 18th prince's death and the emotionless response from the then crown prince actually did lead to the first time the crown prince was deposed. Well, it wasn't just due to the death of the 18th prince, but his death was certainly a factor. Now, in the film, the crown prince was deposed after his blatant disregard for his younger brother's death and his performance of Chinese opera on this pretty much like the open steps of the palace, which was also very weird. He was specifically portraying Qi Tian Da Sheng Sun Wukong or the famous Monkey King. From the journey to the West. From the journey to the West. This whole portrayal is, of course, an anachronism. Peking opera didn't officially become a pastime until the late uh, 18th century, and we're only at the beginning of the 18th century. Okay, so the film doesn't state that it is Peking opera, but I think we get the point. Uh, we did some digging, and the scene portrayed in the movie is most likely from the Peking opera called Da Nao Tian Gong, or The Monkey King Wreaks Havoc in the Heavens. It's actually quite a popular opera now, um, and it did have roots in folklore, but I guess the production became more formalized in the 20th century. As mentioned before, the crown prince gets deposed in 1708, reinstated in 1709 before being finally deposed in uh, 1712. It is really a testament to Emperor Kangxi's love for his first empress, so the mother of the crown prince, that uh, he actually named a crown prince. In the Qing Dynasty, it was not common practice to do so. As the fight for the throne heats up, especially since there's no more crown prince, the 13th prince says this idiom Shang Wu Chou Ti to his brother, the 4th prince, when the 13th prince himself decides to aid his brother in the fight for the throne. Shang Wu Chou Ti is also one of the 36 stratagems but not as famous as the earlier one mentioned. The literal translation means go upstairs and remove the ladder. The story for this idiom is as follows. During the Three Kingdoms period, specifically around mid to late second century AD, an aristocrat Liu Biao preferred his younger son Liu Cong and didn't like his eldest Liu Qi now, this Liu Qi, feeling the pressure of his younger brother and his uh, stepmother, sought the advice of the brilliant strategist Zhuge Liang, the chancellor and later regent of the state of Shu Han. But Zhuge Liang didn't want to meet this Liu Qi. So what does Liu Qi do? He invites Zhuge Liang for drinks on the second story of a restaurant. Once Zhuge Liang arrives, Liu Qi removes the ladder forcing Zhuge Liang to have this conversation with him because he couldn't leave. Seeing no other option, Zhuge Liang does indeed give Liu Qi the advice to flee the city and protect himself. So that's where the story comes from. From a strategy perspective, the idiom is used to say, lure with a small bait, get the person up the stairs, and then block all exit opportunities, which is to remove the ladder. In the movie, 
The 13th prince tries to lure his father during a hunt. The hope was to get his father in a secluded area and block all of his exit options and have that conversation with him. It was well meant, I guess, but execution was not so great. Speaking of where this happened, uh, the place where the imperial family goes to hunt is called Nanyuan. This place served as the royal hunting grounds for the imperial family, starting from the Yuan dynasty, so the late 13th century all the way up until the early 20th century. Presently, it is located within the city boundaries of Beijing, and looking at the map, only around 15 kilometers away from the forbidden city, due straight south. In the film, the 13th prince is sent to Zongrenfu, or basically exile after this fiasco. In history, he does lose favor starting around 1709. I've seen like other figures in um, other reports and never regains favor with his father. It is recorded that his health fails and his fourth brother, the future emperor, looks far and wide for doctors to heal him. I'm not sure Chinese doctors can perform miracles like regain one's eyesight like they talk about in this film, but and they hey, do in the film, but <laughs> hey, maybe they can. And given the timeline, so what this is saying is that this film took place over like like a 12 something year period, like a very long period. Yeah, it it doesn't really make sense because uh when they grow up, when Liu Li and Chen Xiang grow up, they say that they've been in the palace for seven years. So by that point, they're 20. And then it's probably only year 1709. Uh, or 17, 1712 is when the prince loses, the crown prince loses all favor. Right. And then it's 1722 when the emperor, the emperor dies. dies. So... Timelines don't fully match up in this film. Another uh, anachronism here. Or just plain, we're diving in too deep on this. Well, speaking of, we get to 7022. This is where the final confrontation of the movie occurs between the brothers. So for the first time in the Qing Dynasty dramas and movie that we are discussing or have discussed, we see firearms. The Chinese invented gunpowder, but firearms were introduced from abroad. It's not, I don't think, 100% clear where um, certain firearms uh, were introduced, such as um, cannons, but muskets were introduced to the Chinese in the mid-16th century by the Portuguese. This was, of course, during the Ming Dynasty. During the Ming and Qing Dynasties, there were military branches that used muskets and matchlocks and cannons, but they were still very rudimentary. Uh, fortunately or unfortunately for the Qing dynasty, muskets and matchlocks were the primary firearms used up until the early 20th century. And that eh, is one of the big factors as to why they lost many wars with the West during the uh, 19th century. Well, we see the use of um, firearms during that confrontation between the fourth prince and the ninth prince. We also actually see llamas prominently featured in the scene as well. Llamas, not the animal. Llamas are 
I guess, monks, monks or learned individuals in Tibetan Buddhism. So they're the ones sitting down surrounding the bed of the deceased emperor. I don't have too much to say about these lamas or lama, but they were prominent during the Qing dynasty. We have and will continue to see them in many forms in um, Chinese dramas, especially those um, for the Qing dynasty. The drama ends in around probably 1722. Um, the very next day, actually, the 13th prince, as soon as his brother, the fourth prince, ascends the throne, the very next day, the 13th prince is actually freed or regains favor and becomes, as Karen mentioned before, a trusted ally of the fourth prince or the now emperor Yongzheng. So we will say that the, the movie spans from, I guess, the early 1700 to 1722 when the emperor Yongzheng ascends the throne. Wow. Okay. Well, that was a ton of history to glean from this movie. What we've discussed just now is definitely not comprehensive of all of the history and historical pieces um, touched upon in this film. But these are the topics that at least we found interesting. And I think it is, or at least this film is a nice convergence of the two dramas that we have discussed on our podcast, One Empresses in the Palace, and of course, the story of Minglan. I am quite shocked, but also pleased to see Jolly Ying take this evil turn. And as I've said multiple times already, she absolutely kills it. Chen Xiao and Lu Yi. So Chen Xiao is the actor for the 13th Prince and Lu Yi is the actor for the 4th Prince are as handsome as ever. And Zhou Dongyu, the actress for Chen Xiang, I would say is good, has good acting abilities. Um, but I think she is outshone by, by Zhao Li Ying and, and the others. So, I mean, she, like, I saw her acting capabilities, and I think she'll be fine in future yeah, films or Jill roles. Yeah, is, is one of the most accomplished young actresses in China right now. So I'm not worried about her at all. Uh, right. And uh, I just don't think this was her best turn. I think the script didn't it help was, her. I think this is more script. That is all for today's podcast episode. Again, if you want to watch this film and you're in the U.S., Jubao TV is a free streaming service that has English subtitles that we recommend watching this film on. Otherwise, if you search online, I'm sure there are other options to view this in other regions. The music you heard in today's podcast episode is called Sumu Zhe, played by yours truly, uh, with sheet music written by Cui Jianghui. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. We will continue to bring new content on top of our weekly drama recap episodes for your enjoyment. Until next time.